listening to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Grab your Bible. We're going to look at two places. We're going to look at Zechariah chapter number four, and then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number one. Zechariah chapter number four. Now, I know the minor prophets can trip you up. It's all right. Go to the table of contents. Nobody's judging. Zechariah chapter number four. We're going to look at one verse there, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter number one. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. Everybody knows this verse. He said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by, well, I I say everybody knows this. If you grew up Pentecostal, you know this. You know this, right? Not by might, not by power, but what? By my spirit, says the Lord. We don't know what it means. We don't know what he's talking about. We just know the word power and spirit. We're in the same verse, so we're all over it, right? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Watch that. To the message of the cross is to those who, do y'all know how to, how do you turn a phone on? And make it not go off again. Does anybody know how to do that? I didn't have my notes with me, so I typed them out on an electronic device, which I hate doing. And uh, we're really stuck in the water till Jamie gives me my notes back. No. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. Everybody say the power of God. Come on, say it like you mean it. The power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demanded signs and Greeks desire wisdom. Just whenever you get ready, Jamie. But we proclaim proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who were called, she didn't know. She didn't know. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, this is a disaster. Okay, I got to start all over. Verse 23, I'm sorry, Jim. There you go. Make sure you didn't cash up yourself some money on the, on the, way, on the way up. No, I'm teasing. Verse 23 again. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, look, look at this language, Christ, the power of God, Christ, the wisdom of God, Christ, the power of God, And the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. We don't preach about God's weakness. Christ, the power of God. Christ, the wisdom of God. Now, 
I grew up in uh, the Baptist church, the Free Will Baptist church. I've told you these stories, right, where the only thing we were concerned about was going to heaven, but nobody was going to heaven, especially young 12-year-old Casey, that's for sure. Because I stay home and watch the Super Bowl one night instead of going to church. But I grew up in the Baptist church and uh, thankful for that, that raising and that heritage. A lot you have to unlearn as you get older, but that, that's fine. When I became a teenager and got into high school, uh, I, I became friends with this wild-eyed Pentecostal Church of God of Prophecy. Y'all don't even know what that is, do you? Church of God of Prophecy. His name is Eric. He's still wild-eyed, a little crazy, not all the way there, still my good friend. And he started taking me to Pentecostal services, got filled with the Spirit, started attending a Pentecostal church. This was in the 90s. But where I'm from, whatever era you're actually in is not the era you're actually in. So when I say the 90s, when I say mid-90s, you need to think late 70s. That's how far back in time we were. I still have vivid memories of having milkmen deliver milk to the front porch. I know it sounds like I'm talking about the 30s, but I'm not. This is the 90s, and I were part of Alabama, and all the Alabamians said, amen. There are no Alabamians except me and Wes, apparently. <laughs> right? Wes knows what I'm talking about. Hailing from Green Hill, Alabama. And the Pentecostalism that I grew up in was the kind that we've talked about. You couldn't watch television. You couldn't own a television. I had an aunt named Aunt Bernice. Bernice was 612 years old. Bernice never cut her hair. She was about four six, and her hair was at least seven foot long. All right, and I'm not kidding. She always wore it up. She wore the same denim dress every day with sleeves down to her wrist and the dress down to her ankles. It did not matter if it was 112 degrees outside. She was a woman of God. That's how she dressed. She never owned a television. She never attended an event of any kind, like a sporting event or anything like that. You were not allowed to do those things. You were not allowed to wear makeup. You were not allowed to wear jewelry. She had a husband named Emmett who was blind, and Emmett never knew the difference. Right? And we, we look back on those days and we laugh at, at, at some, of the, some of the extremity and some of it's worthy to be laughed at. Not mocked, but we can look back and, 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 and find it humorous, some of the things that we used to do and believe. And whether you know this or not, you're going to look back in 20 years and laugh about what you do and believe now. Right? Or have you arrived? Y'all arrived? You've arrived. My bad. But growing up in that kind of Pentecostal world, there was a particular reason why they lived that sort of life. They lived that sort of life because they were grounded in the conviction that they were not of this world. They believed that. And they were so not of this world that they had no, nothing in common with anybody that was of this world. That was their conviction. That's what fueled those, uh, those religious expressions of abstaining from everything because we are not of this world. This world is not our home. We're only passing through. If you grew up like I did, you know that song. We, they grew up, we grew up with the, with the idea that we're not of this world. That's why we sing about heaven all the time. I've told you in here many times before about the good old gospel ship. I'm going to take a trip. 
It was one of our hymns in the Baptist church. On the good old gospel ship, there is nowhere in your Bible that ever talks about a gospel ship of any kind. But that did not stop us from singing, weeping. I would say dancing, but we were Baptists, for we for sure didn't do that. We believed we were otherworldly, that we were not of this world. So much of that needed to be corrected, and it got corrected. But true to form, we overcorrected because we always overcorrect. So we went from being otherworldly to not looking like the world, acting like the world, dressing like the world, even being found in the same location as the world. And that was what we were told. You couldn't go to a football game because if Jesus were to come back and find you amongst sinners, you were going to be left behind. Right? They told us that our entire life. They would say things like this. You cannot have friends that are sinners. You cannot have friends that are sinners. Don't speak to sinners. Don't be around. Who's sinners? Anybody that doesn't go to this church is a sinner, okay? This is how we were taught. Except two times a year, we would have revival. And before revival, leading up to revival, you know what they would tell us? Invite all your sinner friends. I don't have any sinner friends. I'm not allowed to have them. We were otherworldly. But when we corrected that, we corrected that not by no longer being otherworldly. We overcorrected it to now we believe we're an invading army sent to take over everything by the power of God. And the reason we tend to, across our history, overcorrect things, listen to me very carefully, is because we do not allow Jesus to define for us what the Christian life is and what the Christian life is supposed to be. We do not allow Jesus to identify those things for us. We either get, we get to pick. You either get Jesus or you get the world the way that it is. You get the way the world works or you get Jesus, but you do not get both. And we decide, especially as we get older, we decide what we want to believe about whatever the issue is, about sexuality, about politics, about economics, about church, about any of these sorts of things. We decide what we want to believe, and then we go to the New Testament searching stories of Jesus for source material to reinforce what we've already decided that we want to believe. Instead of allowing Jesus to name those things for us, Instead of Jesus being Lord, he is a mascot. It is awfully quiet in here. Why are you so quiet? Emily, worship all the life out of you. Jesus is not the one naming what this life is. He is the mascot that we use to prop up what we've already decided. We think about these issues. Jesus isn't the one naming what life is for us. Because if you really read Jesus and then you see the way the world works, to follow Jesus means you have to resist the way the world works. 
we don't get to have Jesus and our way of life. If that sounds terrifying, I mean it to be terrifying. If that sounds threatening, I mean it to sound threatening. Because what we currently have is not Christianity. It is sanctified Americanism that we're preaching as Christianity, but it is not Christianity. To see ourselves as an invading force who's supposed to wield power, that is not Christianity. This gets way worse. We're just getting started. I'm in the very beginning. You've got 17 minutes and 24 seconds left. Do you think you can handle it? I was sending passages to Cole this morning. I said, I think I'm going to say this this morning. And it was real provocative stuff. I said, like, I'm going to say this this morning. He would send back, oh, God, please, no, don't. No. <laughs> we don't allow Jesus to name what life is. We decide what life is, and then we want Jesus to amen that. This is never more true than when we talk about ideas of power. When we talk about power, especially the Pentecostal church, we view power a certain way. We see political power. We see military power. We see uh, political superpowers. And then we think God is the most powerful above all of that. He is all of that but supernatural. He is all of that with no limits. God is all powerful. And when we follow Jesus, Jesus completely redefines power altogether. This is what the scripture says that we quote all the time. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Now, the way we read it is this. Not by human might. Not by human power, but by the power of the Spirit. Right? That's how we read it. And that's not what he's saying. It is not by power and it's not by might, but it is by his Spirit. He is naming the Spirit as something over against power. The Spirit is something different than power. It is not by might and it is not by power of any kind. But it's by the Spirit. I promise you we're going somewhere. You with me? When, when we say the word power, when, when I say the word power, what we really mean when we name power is we really mean the ability to overpower. When we say power, we mean the ability to overpower, to crush to dominate, to force and enforce. And we think that that's what the power of God is meant for. And then we've taught ourselves this power is at our disposal to use whenever we want. I get to force and enforce the kingdom of God into the world or what I think is the kingdom of God. I get to force or enforce these things. I get to force or enforce my way of life in the name of Christianity because that's what the power of the Spirit is for. 
When you read the Old Testament, only the false gods lorded over people. And to the degree that we are false is to the degree that we still want to lord over people or want God to lord over people. It is so quiet in here. This is, the last couple of times I've came, y'all been real quiet. Either you don't know what I'm talking about or you do know what I'm talking about and you're bothered by it. And I hope it's that one. Is it that one, Tom? They don't know what I'm talking about. We want to be overpowering in the name of God. Right? You hear this all the time in our preaching and in our our Christian messages. They are doing this, and they are doing that, and we've got to take back, and we've got to dominate, and we've got to invade, and we are not called to do any of that. We're not called to do any of that. It's not by might of any kind. It's not by power of any kind. We want God to crush our enemies. We want God to crush those who don't vote like us or think like us or believe like us. And we summon his power to do that. And he's never going to respond to that prayer. Because that's not who he is. We want him to match violence with celestial violence. Greater violence. A celestial North Korea is our vision of the kingdom of God. We're the almighty, the all-powerful, the most high. Murders and avenges. And lays waste to everybody not like me. And we call that the power of God. And Paul bears witness to the power of God. He, Paul could not bear witness to the power of God in a more different way than what we've called power. And especially what we've called the power of God. The power of God is not so we can just get Christians in office and everything. That's not the power of God. And that's not what God's trying to do. I'm going to be quiet like you are. This just turned, this just turned into a lecture, not a sermon. That's not what the power of God's for. Paul says this. This is the power of God. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Look at verse 18 again. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. Now, when we hear the message of the cross, listen. When we hear the message of the cross 
a message of laying down our life, of forgiveness, of living gently in a violent world, when we hear that message over against how the world actually works, we automatically know there's no way that's practical. There's no way that's practical. It's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be practical. When we hear the message of the cross, of the the story of God who is Lord of all and then comes to serve everybody, not Lord over everybody, and then commands us to that same kind of life, a God that wants a towel around his waist and a wash basin at his feet so he can wash the feet not just of his friends but of his enemies, a God of the towel and the wash basin instead of the God of the crown and the throne. That is the message of the cross. But when we hear that over against the way the world actually is, we can't make sense of it. And Paul said when it's foolishness to us it's because we are perishing because we're not seeing it right because our Christian imagination has been more deeply shaped by whatever news you decide to watch than it is the New Testament But when you are being saved and you hear the message of the cross being preached in the world, in the midst of a world of great violence, that message is the power of God. And it is the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God. Christ, the wisdom of God. It is not the power of God to match violence with greater violence. It is the power of God that we would still be able to live gently in a harsh and violent world. And this even rubs against some of our southernism. Live gently by God. I'd have been. (laughs) Some people are more redneck than they are Christian. Right? And I love rednecks. I'm with you. I'm a hillbilly. I'm with you. I'm with you. Right? My dad used to fight chickens for a living. I'm a hillbilly. The power of God is not retaliating when you've been wrong. The power of God is offering forgiveness when you've been wrong. How do we do that when the world doesn't work that way? That's exactly the point. And so when we hear Christians talk about responses to the violence and the brokenness of the world, we could not be more unchristian in our response. We could not misunderstand the power of God more. The power of God is the, is the power to make us powerless. There is power in prophetic weakness. 
When Jesus taught, when Paul talks about the Spirit, he talks about the Spirit in these ways. This is what the mark of the Spirit looks like in your life. It looks like love and joy and peace and kindness and humility and patience. Not bold, braggadocious. Uh, uh, nobody can talk to you and nobody can approach you. And you're going to give back everything that you've been given. You're just going to give it back more. That's not the Spirit. I don't care if you do speak in tongues. You can speak in tongues until you're blue in the, 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 the entire. We have taught people for years. We've taught people for generations that the sign of being filled with the Spirit is that you speak in tongues. This was one of the earliest doctrines espoused by Pentecostals in America, that the sign of the Spirit is that you speak in tongues. And when William Seymour heard that teaching over in Azusa Street, he hears this teaching, and he says, these people speaking in tongues won't even allow me, a black, one-eyed preacher of a slave, he, they won't even let me sit in the same building as you. The tongues are not the sign of the evidence of the Spirit. The love of God emanating through your life is the sign of the Spirit. We don't have the spirit. We have tongues. That's not the spirit. That doesn't mean anything. When we're still possessed by ideas of what the power of God is for. And it's to be be sure that I get to keep the way of life that I want. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you do not get to keep the way of life that you want. It is dangerous to follow him. It is, and listen, I don't, care what, I don't care what political stripe you are. Everybody does this. I don't care if you're capitalist. I don't care if you're communist. I don't care if you're socialist. None of you have Jesus saying amen. I don't care if you're democratic or republic or independent. None of you have Jesus saying amen. We decide what we want to believe, and then we try to get Jesus to say amen to that instead of letting Jesus define what this life is for us. I know Jesus wants us to follow him, but he gave us common sense. Did he? Common sense is a superpower these days. I had a spiritual father tell me one time. Whenever you see the Pharisees rebuking what Jesus says, the Bible says they reasoned within themselves because reason and following Jesus cannot always live in the same life. I am preaching a way of being Christian that makes no sense to the world that you and I live in. I am preaching a way of following Jesus that could potentially be the end of us in the, in the world that you and I live in. Doesn't that sound familiar? Just like it ended Jesus' life, just like it ended the lives of his disciples. We don't want Jesus. We want the way the world works with Jesus amening that. And he's never going to amen that. Power and his spirit are nowhere close to one another. 
The power of his spirit is that he empowers us to be powerless. That when we are wronged, we don't wrong in return. One of the most, one of the most overwhelming pictures I've ever seen of this. And I, I hesitate to even say this this week. Because our hearts should break. We should be lamenting and mourning for the tragedy in Texas. We should be lamenting and mourning for the tragedy in Buffalo. We, could do, we should be broken to pieces over these things. One of the most overwhelming pictures I've ever seen of this in the world that we live in. Do so you remember a couple of years ago when the man went to the Amish community and locked those kids in the room and killed them? You remember what the Amish community did in response? They bound together, took up an offering, and took it to the man's family as an act of forgiveness. You slaughtered our children. And in response, we're offering forgiveness. That doesn't make sense. And that is for sure not American. Right? America first. And Jesus says the first will be last. It's bizarre how corrupt we are sometimes in our thinking. The power of God is not given to us to overpower. The power of God is given to us to serve everybody, especially those that have hurt us the most. That's where you need the power of God. It does not take a powerful person to sit at the table of a friend. It takes a powerful person to wash the feet of an enemy. This is what following Jesus is. You with me? Not by might. Not by power. But by my spirit. Because my spirit is doing something completely different. Something completely different. And the weakness of God is stronger than everybody. And the foolishness of God is wiser than everybody. So do we want Jesus? Or do we want the way the world works? Do we want the power of God? Or do we want the powerlessness of God? Amen? Don't say amen. It's fine. This is meant to sanctify us. This is meant to shape us in a particular way. This isn't, I'm giving an altar call, come up, lay hands on you. This has to sit on us. This has to change us. And all of the excuses that we give for not being good Christians need to be crucified. Was my Enneagram. I don't care what your Enneagram is. 
right? You ever seen people that use personality tests as an excuse for being jerks? This is who I am. I know, and that's why you need to change. Diedrich Bonhoeffer famously said this. He said, the question is never, what is good or how do I be good? The question is, what is the will of God? The question is not what politics work or what economics work. That's not the question. The question is, what is the will of God? And I want you, I want you, I intend for you to feel under threat when I say that. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Amen? Stand on your feet. Let this sanctify us. Let this purify us. The disciples were so bothered by Jesus because, for many reasons, but one of the reasons were he was supposed to be the Lord of all. And he wasn't acting like a Lord ever. Lords don't wash feet. Think about this. Everybody look at me. The creator of the world becomes Mary's baby. The creator of the world allows himself to become Pilate's victim. The creator of the world allows himself to become Judas' victim. This is a different Christianity than we we grew up with. We grew up with a different Christianity because we grew up with a different Jesus. We spend our lives being told what to think, what is American and what is not. And then we use Jesus to reinforce that. And Jesus is not interested in reinforcing it at all. So, do we really want to follow Jesus? Do we really want to be part of the baptized community? of his disciples. The creator of all, your Bible says, took on the form of a slave. And he took on a form of a slave so he could make you and me his equals. 
That's the God we claim we serve. That's the Jesus we claim we love and want to be like. He took on the form of a slave and offered his life, not just for friends, but for enemies. John says when he came into the world that he made, the world and the people that he made rejected him and did not receive him. I pray that you heal our minds from every distorted understanding of you. Let those, actually, let those understandings die in us. Let those understandings die in us. And let us see you for who you really are. Let us see you for who you are. You ever thought about this? You ever thought about why Rome killed Jesus? You ever thought about that? He had 12 guys following him around. It's not like he was going to overthrow the empire. Why do you kill a guy who's just walking around telling everybody to love one another? Because Rome saw what was happening. His message of love and forgiveness and living gently and kindly with one another and preferring one another was a rebuke to their way of life. And they knew, Rome knew what was happening. If we do not stop this man, his message is going to take hold and these people are going to resist us. And that is precisely what happened. To the point that Rome gets fed up and in 70 AD they burn the whole city to the ground. It started by a message that was so countercultural as this love one another, offer forgiveness, and live gently in a world of violence. And when you've been wronged, do not wrong in return. But trust that God's going to make it right. That is not the gospel that we've heard. That is not the gospel that I grew up with. To proclaim love one another is to be an enemy of the state. To proclaim love one another is to be an enemy of both Republicans and Democrats. I better stop. Some stuff I told Cole I wasn't going to say. Amen. I want to follow Jesus. For real. And I know you do too. You can see. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.